You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. We are a local congregation in Lexington, Kentucky, and we would love to see you join God's restoring work of love in your life. You can find out more about us at restorationlex.com slash welcome. There's helpful links about how you can grow, how you can serve, and be good news in our city. Thanks for listening. So every every time of the year around this time, we pause as a community, as Hannah was saying earlier, to focus our attention on who we are as a church and who we're becoming as a church. Um, I'm looking around the room today, and I see people who are here at the beginning January 22nd, 2017, when we planted the church, I see people who came within the last couple of weeks and are just checking us out for the first time, and I love that. I love the beautiful mess that is the church where we get to find community and build community with people who are like us and people who are unlike us. I'm really glad that you are either calling Restoration Home or even exploring calling Restoration Home. We planted Restoration almost seven years ago, it will be seven years in January, it was a very different world. January 2017 is very different from September of 2023, is it not? Not only is our world different, but I would say in a lot of our own stories and journeys, our lives are different. There's been spiritual change. There has been vocational change. I know people in this room who have a very different job than they thought they would have in 2017. There's political change. There's relational change. Some of us are have new friendships, new relationships that we did not have them or do not have relationships that we used to have. And all of this change combined together, it can be, it is for me at least, very disorienting. When everything is moving at such a breakneck pace and the world is changing so fast, how we consider being the church and, and how we're called to be the church in a time like this really matters. How we respond to a moment like this. And for me, as we begin this, I hope you know that When we talk about what it means for restoration to be restoration, it does not start with what church is at all. I think it starts, as I think about my friends who aren't believers, as you think about your neighbors who maybe have walked away from the church, if you even consider your own story, that the way that our lives have been changed and how disorienting this change has been over the years, it reminds me that we as followers of Jesus, it requires far more than just a conversation about how to do church well. I believe what we need in a time like this, you and I, is a, a reorientation around a compelling vision for what it actually means to be a Christian in a world like this. I mean, that word Christian can get some, some weird stuff going down with it, right? That language and that label, there's a lot of weird things that can be attached to this. And so what we need is a compelling vision, once again, for what it actually means to be the people of Jesus, right? Beyond a political ideology, beyond an ever-changing moralistic checklist, Beyond a set of facts that you and I agree with about God, we need to return to what it means to follow and live into the way of Jesus. More specifically, we need a shared vision as a church for what it means to follow Jesus together. So over the next several weeks, we're going to focus on 
what it means to be the church by focusing on what it means to actually follow Jesus. Because if we get that right, we get everything else right. If we get Jesus right, we always get the church. We may focus on the church and not get Jesus, but if we focus on Jesus, we will always get the church, right? Come on. Y'all are here today. I like it. Welcome. Church isn't the point of church, is it? Jesus is. And if we fall, come on, this is a good day. People are responding. What is happening? What did you put in the coffee back there? Man, double down on it. I'm in. Church is not the aim. Church is the outcome of following Jesus. And so if we get the cart before the horse, as we often do, we can easily miss the heartbeat of who we are called to be. So I don't want to talk to you today about how we're doing some awesome program or we're launching this next big idea or all these attractive language sort of things that you are usually hearing during a vision series. I just want to talk about reorienting our rhythms around the person and work of Jesus and what that means for us here. That's the aim, really the theme of these next five weeks together. We are recentering ourselves as a community around Jesus. So what I want to do is, in these five weeks, offer five distinctive truths, five questions out of these truths as we center ourselves on Jesus. We down with that? Let me pray for us and we'll jump in. So Father, thank you for the church you are building here. You say the gates of hell won't even prevail. And Lord, there are days that it seems like the gates of hell are prevailing, but we put our trust in you. And this world that often seems like it is overwhelming and overcoming, that we are overcomers ourselves and that the church of Jesus will stand strong. Thank you that you are making a cross-shaped people who are not like the world around us, who are bounding ourselves together in love and not ideology and not our common hatred for our enemy, but we have been found in, are being formed in the image of Jesus and you are drawing us together as a church in this. We pray this in your name. Amen. So sometimes as we jump into a conversation about this, we forget that Christianity is founded on this radical invitation that you and I have been given. When Jesus says, follow me to his disciples, when he says, follow me to us, this invitation is not just a sim- simply an invitation to believe, It's not a command simply to live or behave in a certain way. Jesus' invitation is an invitation to discipleship. In our time, discipleship is a very churchy and almost exclusively religious word. But in the time of Jesus, in the language of Jesus, discipleship had a much bigger, much greater meaning. Discipleship, in the words of Jesus, in the framework of Jesus, is an apprenticeship. How many people know what an apprenticeship is? It is a choice to apprentice yourselves in relationship under another for the purpose of learning that person's way of thinking and doing. Dallas Willard helps us understand this vision of discipleship. He says, discipleship means being an apprentice of Jesus— in our daily existence. A disciple is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to learn to do what that person does or to become what that person is. 
So what Jesus is inviting you and I to is not simply a set of beliefs that we agree upon, not just an invite to a standard of behavior that we all try to hold ourselves to. We are being invited intentionally as apprentices of Jesus to be and become like Him. Can we see the difference? There's a massive difference. In Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking to this crowd of people who have lived under the oppressive weight of religion and empire. And his invitation to them, probably my favorite words of Jesus, are his invitation to you and I in this journey. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why are they weary and burdened? Because the weight of trying to hold your religious life on your shoulders is exhausting, is it not? It's exhausting. So Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And here's this part that I want you to pay attention to. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, it's easy, and my burden is light. A yoke, if you don't know what that is, is a harness for two animals. We see a picture here on the screen that helps them pull a heavy load. As a farmer, the common practice in that time was to put a very old, experienced animal in the yoke with a younger, inexperienced animal, and literally for the young, inexperienced animal to learn the ways and the rhythms of the older animal as it grew and learned to work. There are rhythms and patterns that the older animal had intrinsically come into knowing through his experience that could only be passed on intentionally to the younger animal by taking on that yoke together. The older animal literally disciples the younger animal, walks with him to form not only his pattern of thinking, but to form his pattern of living in his life. And notice what Jesus says in these words. He says, learn from me. He does not just say learn about me, but from me. Take a second and take that in. Learn from me is not a past tense invitation. Learn from me is a present tense invitation from Jesus. I have news for you today. It's actually the news that undergirds all of the news that I have week in and week out, and that is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And that as we come into a room like this, what we remember is that in His risenness, we learn from Him and not just about Him. There is a lot of what passes as Christianity today that can be accomplished with the Jesus that's still in the grave. I can learn a lot about Jesus with a dead Jesus. I can learn about how to behave like Christians are supposed to behave with the Jesus that's still in the tomb. But the invitation that we are receiving here in the Scriptures is an invitation for something much greater. In order to be a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, you need a living, breathing, and active God who you are walking with. And my friends, that's what you've been invited into. It's not a religion with a dead Jesus, 
but discipleship with the risen Jesus who says, come and follow me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the distinctive truth I want to hold on to and build on today. We become like Jesus by being with Jesus. Very simple, but very profoundly important truth. We are transformed as disciples. We become like Jesus, like any apprentice, by being with Jesus. And this starts, you and I, as disciples, with learning to be present. If you think about it, the most tangible act of love that you and I can receive, a love that does not require words, a love that requires just simply our presence, is to walk into a room and be with someone. Presence is an act of love. Think about how unloving it feels to be in a room with someone and them not being present. Presence is an act of love. First John 4 tells us that God is love and that love finds a way always in this promise of presence. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The question of where God is in our lives has fully and finally been answered in Jesus. He's with you. The God who is described as the embodiment of love is the God who is present with you here and now. And as you walk home or drive home, you will find yourselves with the same God who is just as present there as He is in a room like this. By His Spirit, God is with you and for you in Jesus. You do not have to behave God's presence into existence. You do not have to perform your way into His presence. God has declared in Jesus Christ that He is with you always to the very end of the age. Our new creation reality is here in these words of Jesus where He says, I am with you. I am with you always. And because of this, the task of being apprentices or followers of Jesus is, is becoming clearer for us. Our aim in discipleship, as we learn to be disciples, is learning to be present to the God who is already present to us, who is already at work in our lives. Instead of trying to work our way into getting God to show up, it is learning to know and experience the presence of God where we are and joining Him in this. And I know that that is not always easy. What I've learned in my journey is that it's far easier to learn about God than to be with Him. It is far easier to exhaust myself living for God than being with Him. There's a perfect example of this. One of my favorite passages in Luke chapter 10 is Jesus comes to the home of two of his closest friends. These are like his sisters, these women by the name of Mary and Martha. Look with me here in verse 38. It begins, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, been, that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you're worried 
and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary's chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This passage causes us to ask the question, what do we do when Jesus is in the room? What do we do when Jesus is in the room? Because if God is present and at work where we are, as we are, we're asked, just like Mary and Martha, what do we do when Jesus is present? Now, these are two of Jesus' closest friends. They're like sisters. We learn this throughout the Gospels, very, very close to Him. So, when this room full of disciples come and show up at their house, Martha does what any good host would do. Martha begins preparing to feed this bunch of disciples that just showed up at her door. It makes sense. But Mary, Mary does something different. She does something unexpected. She assumes the position of a disciple. Like the men around her, she goes and sets at the feet of Jesus, content in this moment to simply be in His presence and not just do things around her. Now, you cannot ignore in this passage, too, the gender dynamics of this. Absolutely, women in that day were expected to kind of be an afterthought in this conversation at best. You stand on the peripheral. You stand on the edge and do what you're supposed to do while the men are part of what's actually happening in the kingdom. And Jesus does something radical in allowing, not only allowing Mary, but encouraging Mary to take the place of a disciple and not just as a servant on the side. Women, you don't have to stand at the peripheral in the kingdom. Isn't that good news? You don't have to stand on the outside looking in. You can sit at the feet of Jesus right beside the men along with everyone else. Martha, from this servant heart, however, was acting upon the norms of her society. It would have been normal for her to begin to prepare these things. Mary not only chooses Jesus, chooses to be with Him as a fellow disciple, she is upending every cultural expectation that's laid upon her. Now, it would be easy to condemn Martha here. But Jesus, if you look at His words, Jesus does not bring condemnation. Jesus brings invitation. He does not condemn the woman. He challenges her, but does not belittle her as a close friend. And it's a relief because I think what we see in this story in Martha is something that you and I, at least I can speak for myself, that I know all too well. And that is it is far easier to be busy for God than to be with Him. It is way easier to just keep yourself busy with the God stuff than to slow down and be in His presence. It is easier to build a theology around my restlessness and call that mission. It's easier to run myself ragged and into the ground and call that ministry. But slowing down to be with Jesus, it's another story. You know, for a lot of my own life, my, my busyness was rooted in something deeper. If I'm, if I'm honest, and I, I think maybe this could be the case for Martha too, I, I don't know, but I stayed busy because I felt profoundly unworthy to be in the presence of God. 
And so if I could stay busy with the stuff, I knew I could be affirmed in those things, but I didn't feel worthy to be with God. I just felt worthy to do the busy work, right? Just to be out there on the peripheral. That's where I'm useful. And the question for Martha, the question for me, maybe the question for you is, when I've ceased being useful, will I still be loved? When I've no longer seen through the eyes of what I can do for others, will I still have a place? I know, for one, you have probably wrestled with questions like this. I know I have. Over and over again, what I have learned is that activity is a convenient substitute for intimacy. If I stay busy, I can just get by without the intimacy that I'm called to. Listen, that's true for human relationships, and that's true for God relationship. When I don't know how to enter into a relationship of intimacy with God, it is an easy substitute to just stay as busy as I can to keep from having to risk what it looks like to slow down and be still. It's safer to keep my head down and stay busy. It's easier to work for Jesus than just to slow down and be with Him. And here's what's really scary. Can I be honest? Okay. You'll be celebrated for doing all the stuff. You'll be celebrated in the church for how tireless you are, for how passionate you are, for how gifted you are. But beneath the surface, I know a thousand Marthas in ministry who are terrified if they slow down what would happen, who are terrified to be known and loved where they're at as they are. But they long to be with God. They long for a world where they have nothing to earn and nothing to prove, and nothing to perform. They long to hear Jesus' words, not just as a theological treatise, but as an actual lived promise for them. When He says, and hear these words again, hear these words for you today. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Imagine Jesus speaking that to Martha. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. From my yoke, it's easy, and my burden is light. The invitation that Jesus gives us in being apprentices to Him, it begins and ends with simply learning to be with Jesus. Because we will never learn to be like Jesus until we have learned to simply be with Jesus. And the question as we come to a close today is, how do we learn to be with God? For those of us who have only lived Martha existences, that question of how we learn to simply be with God is terrifying. It begins, I would say, with this foundational truth that if you've been around restoration for any amount of time, you've probably heard. It's a foundational theological reality that undergirds everything we do in all of the mission that we live 
It's this. God is already present and at work. We do not have to work God's presence up in this room. It's why when we sing these songs and when we speak these words, we're not trying to do that to perform, to get God to give us some Jesus fuzzies and make us feel better so we can go on our way. We walk in a room like this with the assumption that God's already here, and I don't have to do anything. You know how how much of a relief for people who have been doing church stuff for a long time to know that if you sang the song right, or if you sang the right songs, or the right number of songs, or said the right words, or did the right series, or set the room up the right way, all of these different factors, that that's going to be the thing that determines whether or not God is happy enough to come in. What kind of a God is that? that says that the number of songs or the kind of songs we sing or the words we say, if you get the right formula, then I might come and show up and make you feel good. What a trite and defensive God. But what a good news that we share today and that we walk in this room, a lot of us weary and worn out and having absolutely nothing to bring other than our weary bodies in a room like this, that God is already present and at work where we are. This is especially good news to those of us who struggle with things like what are called spiritual disciplines, like reading our Bibles, like praying and meditation, solitude. I remember in college picking up this book by Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. It's a classic. But reading it and thinking as an adult, this is great, but I'm not feeling nothing, man. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm studying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to be really spiritual, but it's not making any difference whatsoever. Over the years, I often found myself, and I bet you have too, being discouraged that all this Bible reading and all this praying and all this discipline didn't seem to make any difference at all in me. But over time, what I have learned about the disciplines that we see in the Scriptures is that they're not a means to get God to be present. It's a means to get me to be present. And when I stop trying to pray and read my Bible and be, spend time in solitude and fast and all the disciplines we've been given and seen in the Scriptures, when I stop using them as a means to get God to show up and make everything better and start using them and seeing them as an opportunity for myself to be present to the God who is already present in the work in my life and in your life, something changes. What we're learning together is that we're learning how to be present to the God who is already present to us. I believe that's at the core, the heart of what discipleship and what it means to be a Christian in the first place. You are learning to be present to the God who is already present with you here now. We're learning to read our Bibles to be with God and not for Him. We're learning to pray as a means of presence and not a tool to get God to do what we want Him to do. We're, we're learning to gather on Sundays in a room like this, not because it's where God shows up magically, but because together we get to show up and be present not only to God, but to one another in our actual lived stories. That is a miracle when it happens. And if you're hearing this and this feels different, but it feels like a relief, guess what it is? Jesus calls it rest. Rest for your souls. Rest from striving. Rest from religion. Rest from try harder, do more Christianity. 
Rest from the fear of intimacy with God that you are too unworthy, too unholy to be found in Him. Well, I have news for you today. Jesus Christ has made you and declared you to be worthy in Him once and for all by His cross, and that is good news. So, the invitation you receive today is follow me. Follow me. I want to close with a question. We have a distinction, a truth, and then a question. What would it look like for me, for you, to prioritize being with Jesus? What is that answer for you? I know you may not be able to answer that on this moment, but I want you to wrestle with that. What would it look like for you and I to prioritize being with Jesus, not doing for Jesus, but what might it look like to slow down and be present to the God who is already present to you? I love this passage in Acts 4 here as we close. It's, it's talking about the church after the Holy Spirit falls, and the, there's Pentecost, and the church begins to form, and Peter and John, they're out ministering, and they're starting to stir up some trouble, and the, the religious leaders at the time are starting to talk about them. In Acts 4.13, it says this remarkable thing about them. Look at this real quick. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that these were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished, and they said they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I don't know about you guys. I think that as restoration, that's what I want our city to say about us. Not that the service is the best service in town, not that the sermon's the best sermon in town, not that the music's the best music in town, but those are people that I can point to and say, those people have been with Jesus. Those people have been in His presence, and there's something radically and tangibly different about them. These are ordinary men and women, ordinary children in our schools. There's nothing special or especially great that makes them better than everybody else. They're just simple, ordinary people who have been with Jesus. What would it look like for you and I as a church to be known by our presence with Jesus? What would it do in our relationships with our neighbors? What would it do in our homes with our families and our friends? How would it shape and reshape and unlearn and relearn your vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus if you were known as the one who's been with Jesus? What I know today as we move into a time of communion is the constant principle that we cannot offer to others what we have not received ourselves. Our life for God will always flow out of our life with God. And so my challenge for you today as we move into a time of response and communion is that you would listen and respond to what the Lord is doing today and calling you simply to be with Him. For you, that may mean just being still. For you, that may mean prayer with our prayer teams. For you, that may mean standing and singing and raising your hands. My, my encouragement for you is that in this moment, right now, respond to the presence of the God who is already present to you. We take these elements every week, remembering the body and blood of Jesus. This juice representing his blood shed for our sins. The cracker representing his body broken for us as a tangible reminder, a meal week in and week out, remembering that we have been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another is a new kind of 
family. We have elements here on the table, on the back there, on the table, and then out in the lobby as well. You don't have to participate, but we encourage you to. You're absolutely welcome to celebrate communion with us. Let me pray as we move into a time of response. Holy Spirit, you who are hovering over our community just like you hovered over the waters in Genesis, you who were here long before we got here this morning because you do not choose to show up when we thank you show up. You are already present and at work. And Lord, we need to unlearn patterns of thinking and living that are based upon us working for you, being busy for you. And at the foundation of our church, at the foundation of our discipleship, at the foundation of our being followers of Jesus, may you teach us to be with you, to be present to the God who is already present to us. We listen and we respond to you as we take these elements in Jesus' name.